This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 320 of the Yellow Airport. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund winning the battle of the Borussias and moving into second place in the Bundesliga. And we will preview the upcoming Champions League second leg in the round of 16 against PSG. And for that, we also have another special interview lined up with Ed from PG Talk, you've already heard from him. But before we go to him and this little interview, I am very pleased to announce the one and only Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung.com. Hello, Konstantin, how are you doing? What's up, Stefan? Well, not much, but we have a sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Vedran Dedic from Azela City Schwarzgelben, who is from Mobile, Alabama, and you can follow him at Vedran Dedic on Twitter. So thank you very much to basically fund the uh, five kilo Nutella panic buy, <laughs> which will come with the coronavirus. Shout out to Vedran. He's making Stefan fat. Konstantin, are you disappointed, gutted that Dortmund will play in front of empty stands in the Champions League now? Yes. I guess I have to be disappointed. On the other hand, I'm going to Leipzig Tottenham. We are recording on a Monday. I'm going tomorrow to the match. Might be the last match in the crowded stadium for a while. So at least I'm part of history. Um, <laughs> and that's what it's all about, right? So yeah, I guess it's not that great to play a match behind closed doors. However... Usually, uh, especially German teams, not named Bayern, uh, aren't doing that well, uh, playing away games in the Champions League, of course, specifically against like the likes of PSG and Spanish teams and so on. Um, so I guess it might be an advantage that there are no PSG fans and that basically it's not a, an, it's, it's an away match because Dortmund has to travel to Paris still different kind of animal than when you're playing against team and the crowd um, even if the crowd is not that behind their own team as it's the case in Paris right now still might be a little bit of an advantage uh, also on TV we get all the uh, talking through the microphone so you know when, when Hummels is screaming um, at, I don't know, Chayden Sancho to, to track back. <laughs> We will hear it live on television. And when Paris players insult each other in three different languages, we got it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. When, when Thomas Tuchel will, will uh, use his uh, French language skills to, I don't know, tell his players to switch from something to something else or do something differently or maybe don't screw up so often. Then we will get it live on television. So, well, it's a big uh, advantage for Thomas Tuchel, obviously, because he uh, likes to tell the tale 
how Dortmund lost in the Europa League. I think it was a quarterfinal against Liverpool at the Enfield Road and only because he uh, made a substitution and the formation change and half the team didn't hear because it was so loud. Um, that obviously w won't happen. Now, the question is, how do I segue back to the Gladbach game, uh, as everyone knows and hosts a podcast? I Host don't know. Co podcast Zero. hosting one-on-one -on -one is uh, start with the topic you want to start with and not the other one. <laughs> That's why I was a little bit confused. You started with Paris. I was like, all right, we do that thing backwards, but it's Stefan's decision. And yeah, I, mean I, I, I was I was on, on topic because uh, I the... Uh, the prospect of five kilos of Nutella uh, overwhelmed my brain, to be honest. Yeah, you also also uh, five kilos of Nutella. You had your inner Thomas Tuchel talking to you and basically insulting you that you become fat. Well, I don't know about you, Constantine, but I do not have an inner Thomas Tuchel. So, um, you have one, you just deny it. Speak for yourself. Um, I'm also allergic to peanuts, so that wouldn't work anyway, because this guy eats a lot of nuts when he's happy, and I would he's never. He's nuts! <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, as, as everyone can hear, it's already very late for Constantine, so I apologize for all it's the not It's not 10 diving, it's all right. <laughs> but but I, maybe, I had, maybe I had a half bottle of wine at the at the reception dinner uh, an hour ago. Maybe, maybe not. There are rumors out there. <laughs> I, w I won't confirm them. <laughs> all right, so um, Dortmund won on the road twice in a row now. Uh, in Gladbach and move into second place in the Bundesliga. It's too bad the entire league will be closed down now, basically. But, um, Konstantin, if I look at the expected goals, I see a resounding win for Gladbach. Um, I think Dortmund were maybe the better team overall in the second half, but I also would make the claim that Dortmund were a bit lucky to win this game. Uh, what is your analysis of uh, what was the pretty cagey affair yeah it wasn't the first time that uh, this season that Gladbach played Dortmund and <laughs> had to be a little bit unlucky at the end uh, so I don't know um, it was it was not as exciting of a match as you I guess a lot of people uh, wished it to be um, it was I mean there is a lot of action between the penalty areas, not so much within the penalty areas, um, after all. So, um, I guess for, you know, just, um, spectators, uh, wanting to have a, an exciting entertainment match, it wasn't really, I guess, their cup of tea, maybe. I'm I don't know sure. about you, but I, I, I thought it was riveting. I was, uh, really, uh, sitting on the edge of my seat the entire time. Maybe it was just down to the one goal lead the entire time basically but I, I thought it was it was a very interesting game i don't know what you do at home um <laughs> so but that's your thing you know if you're riveting uh sitting on your chair um that's all right i mean all more power to you uh Thank you. but back to back to the match um <laughs> yeah i was also what i didn't like like looking at it from a more neutral position for once uh, is that basically uh, both teams played basically the same formation, uh, mirrored each other. So a lot of man marking and one-on-one -on -one situations, uh, which is, which can be fun at times, uh, when there are two teams which are almost equally strong, uh, as was the case with these two teams, 
it can be a bit daunting at times. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were also exciting phases. Um, Dortmund couldn't get much going in the first half other than some counter-pressing situations and then uh, transition attacks, uh, which tells you something, right? I mean, there was like a 3-4-3 against the uh, 3-4-3. So Dortmund, uh, if it was like, if Gladbach... Uh, remain compact in defense and so on then Dortmund couldn't get much going but if there was some kind of chaos uh, with counter pressing and a little bit more uh, instability in in Gladbach's uh, defense formation uh, then there were a couple of openings for Dortmund but overall it wasn't really I I don't know it wasn't I mean it was uh, it wasn't exciting. Uh, it was more like, as you said, riveting. Um, it was, a, of course, cutting edge situation to some extent. Sure. Until the end. Um, <laughs> second half, yeah. Uh, second half was uh, better, of course. Um, I mean, Lucien Favre, the, the, the coaching god he is, uh, made the one thing he had to do bring on Jaden Sancho, uh, which is almost unfair two opponents that you have Jaden Sancho on the bank uh, on the bench um on the bank <laughs> you also have an on the bank all right i mean uh, at least right now uh you've got the contract on the bank or in a, can you please uh, focus <laughs> no i can't i can i can i can um uh, back to all topic all right I, i'll take over uh <laughs> no who are you 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 you're you're insulting well no, but but honestly, um, you're right in in the sense that not much really uh, happened on on either side. Um, I think um, the first chance that Dortmund really had was actually the goal um, when Emre Can pressured Lars Stindl, who then passed it straight to Haaland, which is not a good idea. And uh, Torgen Hazard nearly screwed it up with his first touch, but then made the best out of it. Um, made a little dummy. Faked out, I think, three defenders and then curled it into the far corner past Jan Sommer, which was a really beautiful goal um, after he really messed it up almost. And uh, I think another key event in this game was the injury of uh, Dena Zakaria. Um, I don't know how you see it, but in my view, he is one of the or, or the centerpiece of Gladbach's not only defense, but also builder play. He's in the center of their back three. And uh, that meant Marco Rose brought on Tony Janschke put him in the right back position of his uh, back line and then uh, Matthias Ginter of all people went into the center and so that was uh, yeah I I think a, a big disadvantage for Gladbach uh, or well not a big disadvantage but I thought it was a drop off in their capabilities what I also found interesting after the game is that Mats Hummels said that uh, right now he is basically not trying to play any spectacular balls and what has improved drastically over the last games or so is that Dortmund play with far more caution and do a way better job of protecting the ball. Um, is this something you also observed or do you disagree with uh, Mats Hummels there in terms no, of the risk averse uh, play? Yeah, it looks much more cautious. Uh, you got two more defensive minded center midfielders. You and Brandt played on the right side. Um where I could really see that uh, right now in center midfield he's much better and can contribute much more to Dortmund's game. Um, so that's why, I mean, he as a right winger wasn't really working. 
So, yeah, overall, um, after the Leverkusen match, Dortmund once again changed their approach a little bit. Uh, it's more cautious, uh, risk averse to some extent, um, which uh, makes for less exciting matches, but only aren't uh, quite successful performances so far. So, uh, I guess, I mean, if, if you're winning, you're right. Um, at least to some extent, uh, when it comes to coaching. Uh, not always, you're not always right, but uh, often enough. And right now, Lucien Farfra um, isn't really under pressure. And so, I guess, yeah, why not? Uh, we will see. We will see in other matches if they, if, if Dortmund uh, is behind and has to take Morris, then we will see how, how the team can do against uh deep sitting teams uh one or two goals behind that's like a complete different dynamic then uh right now with these open matches um or even in the lead it's it's of course easier to play a little bit more cautious and don't have these hero balls from Matsumils or long triples from uh Donaxel Zagadou or something like that yeah, I think that's uh, actually quite visible. Um, and uh, I think Dortmund are maybe a little bit over-reliant on Hakimi and Guerrero to create something um, that they go quite off uh, against Gladbach. I, you know, I think they were also pretty conservative, especially Hakimi in the first half. Hardly went forward. and uh, Well, when he went forward, then he was uh, like caught on the wrong foot by uh, Ben Zabini. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... A couple, couple of situations where he got... Uh, basically overtaken by the Gladbach uh, left back. Yeah, and I, I will say this: I thought Julian Brandt once again had a very poor game for his own standards. Um, I, I think his defensive intensity needs to uh, get better and better quickly. Um, I don't see him in this form play against PG if I'm entirely honest. And uh, yeah, also just a lot of really unnecessary turnovers that he produced. Um, so yeah. That happened, and obviously there was a penalty shot for Gladbach. Uh, Zagadou played the ball back to Berkey, and then was it Jonas Hofmann? I'm not entirely sure anymore uh, who he brought down, but he sort of stuck his leg out to, to yeah. block the man. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's the, in the category of you would give it uh, in, in some games and you don't in others. Like, um, I, I think it was the correct call by VAR not to intervene because the referee uh, clearly saw it and, and uh, said it wasn't a penalty. And then it's, it's not enough to turn over the call. But, uh, on the other hand, if you give it, there's, uh, also not enough there to say that wasn't a penalty. So, um, like a 50 50 decision and don't we were simply lucky there. And, uh, what, was really interesting. Marco Rosa said it like at the press conference that um, the two uh, one the Dortmund squad was basically down to Arling Haaland breaking his back <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Gladbach thinking Dortmund would just play the ball out of play, but they didn't. Uh, Jaden Sancho played in Achraf Hakimi, who then kept his calm and nutmegged Jan Sommer. Um, I think that was uh, you know one of those key moments in very contested games where really just nuances can make a difference. And I think uh, it showed there that Gladbach switched off. Um, that was not not great by them. But uh, I think Marco Rose wasn't too mad at his at his players. But I, I think that that made the big difference in the end. Because apart from that one moment where 
Jaden Sancho hit the post with the curler. I don't remember too many other chances that Dortmund had in this game. If if you do, please indulge. Yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, I I guess Dortmund looked better in the second half, but in terms of uh, attacking output, it wasn't that much of an improvement. No, they had more control, but in terms of clear cut, they had more control. Yeah, but the output wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, it's just as you said, like uh, the Hakimi goal resulted from. Uh, uh, situation Holland was on the ground uh, some club players were just uh, turning off and Hakimi was just running down the right side uh, hoping that he might have received the ball yeah and Zon- uh, Jan Zoma even slipped a little yeah yeah that's yeah also also because because the first touch or the, the, like the second or third touch uh, by Hakimi was really bad and uh, the the ball flipped a little bit away from him and if, if Zoma doesn't slip he might just catch the ball so yeah, a couple of things came together, uh, all against Gladbach. Um, yeah, then you got the, as you said, uh, Sancho hitting the woodwork, but there was an, it was not really a team effort. It was more like Sancho doing his thing. Um, uh, at least in, in terms of what he did, uh, inside the box. So, um, yeah, I guess more control, not so much, uh, or not so many goal scoring opportunities. Uh, against Paris, if, if Dortmund can be not as dominant, but can control the match as well as they did in the second half against Gladbach, then that might be a big plus for Dortmund, uh, going into, uh, in, in that match. Uh, but still, <laughs> I mean, at least have, you have to score once at least or so. And right now, I mean, also considering the Freiburg match, um, Yes, Dortmund are more cautious, but I hope not over so cautious that they basically lose all their attacking power. Because when I look at the team, what's really special about the team is uh, just attacking quality. Uh, attacking quality. Yeah, that is absolutely right. And I would say this: um, yes, Dortmund play a bit more risk averse, and they are a bit more cautious and. Uh, uh, all that, but uh, I will remind everyone that Freiburg also had a very good scoring opportunity with Nils Petersen and uh, Brill Embolo really should have scored. Um, oh yeah, that's also right. Yeah. You know, the, the, that was a, just a dire, dire miss. Uh, I don't know. It was basically a tap-in and he just completely mishit it. I don't know if the ball had a little bounce before. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he didn't really hit it, but still, it almost went in. So Yeah, yeah. So... Um, it's it's not like we can just uh, applaud Dortmund's great defending um because um there there were lapses there so um you know Dortmund riding their luck a little bit there and I I think you can see the fatigue a little bit at the moment um you know in in the end I think both teams were pretty shot um Torgen Hazard had to go off with cramps Benzebaini also had had cramps um and I don't know if you watched Gladbach's game against Hoffenheim. I only saw like the last 10 minutes or so um, when Hoffenheim equalized. But Gladbach were really, really tired then. And uh, yeah, they were again. So in the last 10 minutes, I wasn't really too concerned about Gladbach uh, scoring the equalizer. Um, I, I thought Dortmund would somehow just carry it over the time and they did. So um, I think the one other notable thing is that there were, um, I think five yellow cards in this game, uh, four alone for, for, uh, players locking horns. I think Sancho and Benzabaini met and then, uh, was it Stefan Leiner and, uh, Rafael Guerrero? So 
yeah, there were a couple of broads, but nothing too certain, uh, too serious, I think. And uh, yeah, then there were a couple of tactical fouls by by John and by Ginter and and so on and so forth. So in the end, we had uh, ten bookings. Um, so I think referee Sascha Stegemann maybe the game got a little out of his hand because I don't think it was that brutal that it warranted that many bookings. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean playing playing against Gladbach on FIFA um, <laughs> is the what what's, what always strikes me that like they are one of the most aggressive teams in the game. Uh, just as a side note, I don't know they always try to either tackle you or just <laughs> straight out uh, commit a foul. So um, I'm not surprised that in reality <laughs> do the same. No, just kidding. Uh, it wasn't. It was intense. Yes. Wasn't really like a brutal match or something. Not. Uh, I mean, the Sakaria injury happened because uh, he clashed with his own goalkeeper. So then the, the one situation where um, Hof- Hofmann went down in, uh, inside the penalty area wasn't a brutal foul. It was more like also Sakaria. He looked like he was twice as tall and twice as big as as Hofmann. So uh, might just be a, a stiff freeze. Uh, because Sagadu was close to Hofmann breathing. <laughs> I guess that's what, what happened. Actually, that what ha- that's what happened. Yeah, sure. That's the, the, we are you know reviewed it and saw like no contact was just um, Sagadu breathing heavy. Yeah, you just exhaled. Uh, that's that's what happened. Yeah, you just you just exhaled. That like that Hofmann went down. Also, being a Dortmund fan um, uh, and knowing Hofmann quite well uh, because of his Dortmund days. I mean, he goes down pretty easily often enough, uh, and he has done so for uh, for most of his career, actually. So, um, not that he dives a lot, but he's more like, yeah, there's a little shaft and he's like down. Um, the center so, of gravity is just closer to him than to yeah, other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a lightweight. That's the that's the thing. Come on, that's the thing. It's just it's just a weight thing. Um, so. Yeah, that's, that's also, I, I don't know. I mean, of course, referees have to judge a situation almost independently from like our situations in the, in, in the past. Still, some referees also know that like, ah, player X, Y, and Z, these players go down easily. Um, yeah, of course, so, they study that. Yeah, they the study that. Yeah, they, they, they watch also tape and, and know that like some players, have the tendency to go down easily and like have the tendency to, to want to trick referees into making certain decisions. So, uh, that also plays a factor, especially, I mean, Hofmann is not like no spring chicken anymore. He, he has a couple of Bundesliga season on his belt. So, um, it's nothing new actually. Uh, but just on a side note, I don't think it was a brutal match. There were like a little scuffle here and there, but <laughs> okay. Also, also, uh, Father running on the, uh, onto the pitch. That man, uh, try, <laughs> trying to hold back Sancho because like in his mind it was like, all right, Sancho, uh, is about to do something stupid and then we lose him due to a red card. Uh, we can't lose him. We have to re- real derby, uh, ahead of us. So we need Chaden, Sancho and like Father is running onto the pitch and we're like, all right. Dude, <laughs> no ballroom prowl right here in front of uh, 55 t- t- television cameras. Plus, I don't think uh, Sancho would have won that against Spencer Baini, to be honest. I guess, yeah, yeah. It's also, it's uh, let's say, a lightweight against at least a middleweight. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe we should move back to the sport. Um, That's a sport. Well, yeah, 
but I mean the sport, Constantine. Ah, the sport. The sport. Anyway, um, so yeah, Dortmund are back in second place due to Leipzig dropping uh, two points in Wolfsburg. Um, and now we will all prepare for the Champions League. Um, I'm obviously, as I previously said, a little bit less excited now that uh, there is... Uh, a game behind closed doors and I assume we will have the same thing for the Revier Derby which is obviously a big shame but it's also understandable uh, if it's a global pandemic you will want to limit the uh, speed of the spread any way possible and uh, you want to protect the most vulnerable of your population and I guess so it's very much warranted uh, but it's it's still annoying as it is but nevertheless um, I think we had a quite interesting first leg between PSG and Dortmund. Um, in that game, Thomas Tuchel mirrored what Lucien Favre was doing. Um, obviously, I already talked with Ed uh, about Tuchel's tactics a little bit, but I want to um, hear from, from your perspective, what do you think Dortmund should do, how they should behave, and uh, what you expect Thomas Tuchel to do. I guess he goes back to what he usually does with the PSG team as a 4 2 2 2. Um, basically, the, the Leipzig form, formation, more or less. Uh, I guess he will go back to what he usually uses. Um, and as for Dortmund, I wouldn't change much. Uh, I would just try to be a little bit more precise in build up, is one thing. Um, and it's easier said than done. I, I believe I know, that PSG will press quite well. That's the thing. What, what I just want to say is like, uh, also being a little bit quicker, uh, with decisions. Uh, again, easier in, said than done. <laughs> let me, let me finish. I would uh, act easier quicker, said than uh, done. <laughs> All right, Stefan. Now, now I'm about to mute you. Uh, you get, you get a two minute penalty. Uh, I don't think that's enough for you, but go on. Oh, now we're referring shade. All right. <laughs> All right. You're getting a five minute penalty for insulting me. <laughs> uh, I will, I will call loss. He is, he's now the new referee here. He's asleep. Um, <laughs> well, so are some Bundesliga referees during the matches. I don't care. Uh, so it's just that uh, sometimes, uh, I mean, you, you watching the Tlapper match. Sometimes Dortmund get into these these uh to trouble uh in build up because it's not like the, the our team is like doing a great job at you know setting up the pressing traps or whatever or just uh, uh using a high press. It's also Dortmund is sometimes so slow like they they need an, an eternity until they get like the first pass or the second pass. Um, and what you have to do is act quickly a few quick passes before the high press really uh, gets going and before they are really under pressure. And like, if they would act a little bit quicker and, and would play quicker out of the, uh, out of the back, sometimes it would help. Not always. Sometimes, uh, sometimes there are also cases where you can't really do anything, uh, unless you're like a madman like Sagadu and just start, you know, start a triple and, um, go for it. Uh, wouldn't do that against Paris. Um, usually, uh, naturally, uh, and logically, but, um, 
I guess there's there are some things uh, Dortmund can still improve uh, in order to battle a high press and not being then as pressured and inaccurate uh, with the passing when less pressure applied. Because that's still a, one of the major concerns with the, this Dortmund team. Uh, because it's just not... It, it, sometimes it doesn't look really safe. Uh, it looks really shaky. And, and that's not really what Favre, I mean, what, what, like, what's Favre expectation is and what's his, uh, f- philosophy is completely different. Uh, he wants control, dominance, and also a lot of safe procession. Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. You, you sometimes see that the Dortmund attempt to play it safe, but then are forced back to play to Berkey and he just launches it, it forward and then Dortmund automatically lose possession because, uh, unless Haaland somehow gets it or uh, doesn't break his back. Uh, but uh, that's really the exception to the rule. Um, so you're right. And uh, this is really not a way for Dortmund to calm their own play down. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really in- intrigued about this because, um, we've talked about this entire scenario beforehand that if Dortmund allow themselves to be pressured too much and, uh, you know, basically sit back too deep, then, uh, they are more often than not in trouble. So, um, I hope that even though they, carry the virtual 2-1 lead into the game that they remain proactive um, otherwise uh, I think PSG will have a field day um, that being said I also don't believe that PSG will have a field day um, how do you think Dortmund actually can hurt them and how do you think uh, uh, how you should field the team to ac- accomplish your goal to, to advance would you play Julian Brandt for example, if so, where or would you play a front three of uh, Sancho Hazard and Haaland? Since Hazard at least has proven that if if not uh, contributing with goals and assists, he at least uh, works his butt off. Yeah, I think one of the major flaws uh, in this uh, PSG team and the major or one of the major vulnerabilities is that. Uh, in many situations, uh, Di Maria and Neymar, uh, and Mepape, they're moving forward and there's a really big space, a big space, a big uh, chunk of real estate right behind them. Uh, and I think you, you have to use your quick attacking wingers and wing backs. So Hakimi and Goreo and also Sancho and Harsar. And since Azar is a quicker, more explosive winger compared to Yuan Prunt, I think that's why you play Hazar instead of Prunt. Because the middle of Witzland and Chan, it's, uh, it's a good pairing. Um, I wouldn't change it. So, um, and of course you can still integrate Yuan Prunt in, in, in the team without playing him in center midfield. You can still, uh, especially use him as a number 10 behind Holland and Sancho. But uh, then Sancho would play more centrally. But against PSG, sometimes you need him close to the touchline. Um, then picking up these balls behind uh, Di Maria, Neymar, and Mbappé. So, um, yeah, that's why I think it's crucial to have uh, four quick uh, players on... Or two quick players on each wing, uh, which is, which is, I guess, best way to beat Paris. Yeah. I I agree. I mean, uh, San- Sancho would I guess go up against Kim Pembe and uh, Juan Bernat, <laughs> uh, 
and Hazard would probably battle Marquinhos in, in defensive midfield and then probably try to play off the shoulder of, of Tilo Kera and uh, Thiago Silva. That's uh, where I assume he will roam in, in these spaces and... Uh, yeah, maybe you will bring on Julian Brandt later on, or if you have to chase the game. That's at least my theory. I don't know what uh, Lucien Favre is thinking. Um, what I have not mentioned on the interview with Ed, obviously, because we recorded that one on Friday. Um, since then, the uh, Paris game against Strasbourg was cancelled uh, entirely, completely postponed due to the coronavirus and... Uh, I don't know if that's due to the coronavirus as well, but at least today on Monday, Kylian Mbappé did not train. He missed training because of a sore throat. Um, so there's that. And I think Edison Cavani also uh, missed training because of a personal matter, but I'm not entirely sure that, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's out for the game. But uh, just, just so you know, I guess we'll have more information in the coming days. And uh, yeah. That's that's all I will have to say before uh, we do our predictions. Konstantin, um, after the uh, PSG, after the first leg, you predicted that Dortmund will not prevail against PSG. How is your prediction now? Do you think the empty stands changed something? Yeah, I guess it it, it changes something uh, because I could I when I said that uh, I, that Paris would, in my opinion, at least will go through. I pictured um, something of a situation, Dortmund playing at Paris, fans against them, just one of these uh, you know, Champions League away matches where a team like Dortmund can really um, stumble and fall to some extent. So, uh, But it has changed, the dynamics of the match have changed and I think Dortmund can edge out, or I hope and think uh, Dortmund can edge out a one um yeah maybe a one 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 or something uh, and so going through uh won't be pretty um but i guess there is a possibility that Dortmund can edge out uh one one and so and go, go through um of course the one paris away goal uh during the first leg doesn't help <laughs> at all but uh that of course that's captain obvious yeah, obviously, but I, I do expect Dortmund to score in this game. Uh, Matsumil said, uh, for all he cares, Dortmund can lose six to seven. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that high, but, um, I do believe Dortmund will go through on away goals, to be perfectly honest. I think it's going to be the, the shootout that uh, I assumed would happen in the first leg. Um, that, you know, these games tend to become a little crazier in the second leg, I always feel. Um, so, I'm predicting a 3-2 loss for Dortmund, but again, I think they will go through. So, um, yeah. Without any further ado, then here is our interview with Ed from PSG Talk. All right, I'm here again with Ed from PSG Talk. Um, listeners already had the pleasure of hearing from him ahead of the first leg against PSG. Um, now the second leg is upon us and we're all very excited for it. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stefan, for having me back. It's a pleasure. 
So your team lost the first game. Um, we both predicted a shootout, but that did not quite materialize. However, it was a very interesting game um, with Thomas Tuchel mirroring the formation that Lucien Favre put out there. And in the end, two goals of Arling Haaland decided the match. Um, Neymar got a goal for PSG, which can be very vital. Um, so before we dive into the upcoming game um what are your top line reactions to the first leg from the PSG perspective yeah my my initial thought was Dortmund has unbelievable speed even more so than I thought going into the match when you when you see the way that they were able to sprint upfield and just run past defenders um you're just really left in awe um I thought that tactically in that first half both sides were very similar and what they were trying to do, kind of feeling each other out. Dortmund, by far the better team, created more chances. And it just felt like throughout that entire game, PSG was really just holding on for dear life. Um, I didn't love the way that PSG played very compact through the middle. I didn't love that Tuchel completely changed the formation. The three four two one wasn't something that PSG has really played at all, all season. <laughs> so to, to change it was uh, pretty shocking. Um, I thought going with Mbappe as a striker was an interesting decision, leaving Mario Cardi, even Edinson Cavani on the bench with, with no number, uh, real number nine up front. Um, and I think that Tuchel really just went into that match thinking, let's just, at best, maybe we can get a draw. Let's keep it close. Dortmund's really good at home. Let's just try to get out of here without too much damage being done. And, and leave it up to uh, the Parc de France, the return leg, to see what we can get out of it. So um, that was kind of my overall thoughts on on everything that went down. Yeah, I think you're very spot on here. It really looked like Tuchel was more trying to not lose than to win this game, um, which makes sense in the Champions League. I mean, it's it's only the first game, and you have to be mindful of that. Um, what what um, really um, struck me is that a Neymar and Mbappe didn't track back as as much as you would like them to do on a Champions League level. I think um, in the league you can afford yeah. them to uh, play with a bit more freedom. But um, in in Neymar's case, I think um, he was uh, also maybe not up to his best physical shape because uh, he was rested or protected or whatever it was. Uh, it, so. Um, what are the prospects of him in the second leg playing at a higher level and then with more intensity? Or is he just a player that doesn't defend <laughs> because he is Neymar and uh, he doesn't give a crap? A little bit of both. I, I will say, um, so he had the rib injury and he, I, it came out that he was protected. He wanted to play, he pushed to play before the first leg and, and given his injury history, PSG executives and those in charge said, we're not going to let you play. Um, now that everything has happened, he has played. He was suspended for one game, but he's played in every game after the result against Dortmund. And he's played really well. Um, and on Twitter, I, I, in the most recent game, there was a, a clip where I shared. I where, it, yeah. yeah, Neymar tracked back and made a diving block to, to block a cross um, where he tracked back. He has it in him. And he's been praised. And Bappe has praised him um, earlier in the season for tracking back. So it's something that he is capable of doing if he's up for it. And I think... <laughs> 
I think against Dortmund, if you can't get up for this match, then I don't, I just don't think you have it in him, you know, if he can't do it. So, um, hopefully he turns up and, and tracks back because I think the formation is going to change a lot. Um, you're going to see more wide play and you're going to see more attacking play from PSG because quite frankly, they need to score goals. Um, but they also need to track back and stop Dortmund from and scoring, obviously. So I think you're going to see Neymar's going to be, uh, pretty tired at the end of this match. I think we're going to get everything. We're going to get all 222 euros that we spent for him. Uh, we're going to get it out of him in this match for sure. Yeah, the thing is, PSG obviously just needs a 2-0 win. I think that's their ideal result. Yeah. Um, you know, 3-1 or 4-2 or whatever is probably a bit harder to achieve, but obviously not impossible for this team at uh, any given day. Um, that being said, um, very late in the game, there were two incidents that uh, I think will have a massive influence on the return leg. The first one was obviously Thomas Monnier getting booked. or Actually, that was the second one, but... Uh, the the more minor uh, impact, I would say. Um, yeah. How is uh, his absence going to um, impact PSG, and how uh, who will replace him, and how good is that player? Absolutely. So with Munier, what's shocking is after the game, he claimed that he had no idea that one yellow card <laughs> would suspend him for the return leg, which is. I, it, it's almost a fireable offense. Just the fact that he had no idea. No one told him like, Hey, you can't get a yellow card. So we'll set that aside. That is beyond reason. I have no comprehension of how that could happen in uh, professional football, but look, he, he started in the game. He's, you know, the starting right back. I, I don't rate him as highly as maybe some other people do. I think he's a fine right back. He plays for Belgium, which is one of the best international teams. So he clearly has quality. Um, and, and his absence is going to be missed for the simple fact that. Colin Dagba is another right back that we have in the team, but he's injured. And so now you're without two right backs. So now you're having to slot over Tilo Kerr, who's more of a center back, but he can play right back. But he's been injured a lot this season. He hasn't had a lot of playing time. So, and he had a, a really bad mistake against Manchester United last year in the Champions League. So you start to wonder, can he really step up when the bright lights are on? So that's a real concern for, uh, for PSG. What's, and with him slotting over at right back, if Thiago Silva is not able to play, then Marquinhos may have to come back and play center back. So Tuchel's having to like shuffle players around because, you know, Munier is out and injuries. And so Tuchel is not going to be able to go with the players that I think he would hope to be able to go with. So the biggest treat of the first leg, to me at least, was really the battle in midfield between <laughs> between Greg, Verratti and uh, Witzel and Jan um, on on uh, either side respectively. Um, I think Axel Witzel after the game said that uh, Dortmund won this particular battle against the two other players. But that being said, I think that Verratti was the best of all four of them easily. Um, just the, the way he prevented Jan from, from a scoring chance in the box, just uh, stealing the ball and poking it away in the last second. I think half the stadium was shouting for a penalty, but it was just an amazing defensive move. Um, I think he was the best player, period. Um, minus maybe Arling Haaland, who just uh, on the, on the merit of, of scoring outrageous goals. Um, but otherwise, um, yeah, he is sort of the heart and soul of this team in, in midfield. And he will now be out because he complained a little bit too loud in the referee's face, which uh, if Meunier was a fireable offense, this probably is too. Yeah. Just <laughs> so stupid, uh, so unprofessional and uh, put such a burden on his team. 
So how is Thomas Tuchel? You already said he will have to shuffle around. How is Thomas Tuchel going to solve that? Because Gay, for all intents and purposes, had a terrible game. And, uh, you know, if, if there were two Verratis, Pizzi would have probably won for nothing. But, uh, you know, with uh, Gay and someone not as exceptional as Verratti, I think Pizzi are going to struggle. What do you think? Yeah, I think Idrissa Gay, we have to remember he came from Everton, not a team that's playing on the, the top level of European football. And so I think going into the atmosphere at Dortmund really impacted him. Um, I think he's a really good quality player. We saw that at home in the first game of the group stage against Real Madrid, which PSG won 3-0. Um, he had a great performance. I mean, unbelievable. He had just come in recently. Um, he joined last summer. I think that... Tuchel will give him another opportunity banking on the fact of, of being at home and maybe that little extra confidence will bring that type of performance out of him that we saw against Real Madrid. If Thiago Silva can't play and Marquinhos has to play center back, that obviously opens up a place in the midfield. Leandro Paredes, um, he played against Leon um, in the uh, Coupe de France semifinals. So he's a player that I think could play there. I also think 17-year-old Tenge Kwase would be my pick, but he hasn't played. He didn't play against Leon, which I think is a, is a good indicator that he won't likely play against Dortmund. So I think Adrisa Gay and Leandro Paredes could be the midfield pairing. However, if Thiago Silva can play, then I think it's going to be Marquinhos and Gay as your midfield pairing. Yeah, interesting. So um, there, there will be a surprise in store, and you never know with Thomas Tuchel because he... Uh, is famous for overthinking high-profile <laughs> games and coming up with tactical yeah. tweaks that, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to basically double bluff Lucien Favre, who is not even cons concerned with whatever no. PSG are doing. So um, or, or, I think someone said quintuple bluff, so I, I had to laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game uh, for sure. Um, how different do you expect PSG to play um you've already mentioned that they were without Icardi and Cavani um do you think both will feature or at least one of them and if so who and how will that change because you've said it before PSG hardly played through the wings yeah. in the first leg um something you should exploit against Dortmund if you ask me if you have Neymar and his dribble skills you want him to go one-on-one -on -one against Piszczek or Zagadou or whoever on on the on the wings so Please uh, in indulge us with uh, yeah. your theory of, of the attacking tweaks and the different shape that PSG will probably apply. I mean, I, I would ideally, I would love obviously Neymar on the wing and Mbappe up front. Uh, basically, the four four uh, two that they had been going with, um, with Icardi and Mbappe up front and Angel Di Maria and Neymar on the wings up front. However, Icardi has not played really at all. Um, he he's been kind of left on the bench and it's a it's a, a curious decision from Tuchel because he's been so good this season and Edinson Cavani has been the one that has been playing uh Cavani recently scored his 200th goal for PSG he made his 300th appearance and so i i don't know what to make of it because Cavani is not really scoring the goals with the with this playing time he's missing a lot of chances um and it's kind of his MO for his career he scored a lot of goals but I think if he finished a lot of his other chances, he would be one of the best strikers ever in the history of the game. He just misses way too many chances. And for me, Acardi would be the ideal player to play up front. With all that being said, I have no idea what Tuchel is thinking at all in this match. Um, 
I, I would go with what you have done for a large part of the season, again, which is Neymar, Mbappe, Icardi, and Angel Di Maria. But he may play you know, Cavani up front and Mbappe and Neymar on the wing and play three midfielders. You said it yourself. I mean, Tuchel is a classic overthinker. And uh, the fact that we as fans don't really have a good grasp of what kind of formation and who is going to play is absolutely terrifying when you're going into a match of this magnitude. You need stability. You like to know which players are going to be expected to play. And you would hope that those players know where they're going to play. Tuchel said we may not know until Wednesday morning if Thiago Silva can play, which means that Marquinhos doesn't know if he's going to be a midfielder or a center back that day. I don't know how you can go into a game with that sort of uncertainty and expect to pull off a win against a high-quality side like Dortmund. It's um, it's enough to pull your hair out, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> so um, in the past, as you've mentioned, um, PSG often have played in the league at least uh, with a 4-2-2-2 formation. I guess it has more width than it says on the on the initial team sheet, but it just suggests that uh, there's a lot of offense and uh, you know a lot of free roaming players in the end. Um, so yeah, well, it, it's going to be interesting. I will just say this: um, it makes a big deal and a big difference. It is a big deal and makes a big difference on the international stage in in such a high profile game. Whether you have routine and automatism as i like to say mm -hmm. within your squad and whether players are used to their uh, positions and uh, i think for Tuch during tuchel's tenure in dortmund that has cost him a couple of games here and there that he just put players so out of position that they uh were not uh, used to to the distances in relation to other players um so there were a couple tactical errors um you know, that led to individual tactical errors and that led to mistakes and to goals. And um, so for Dortmund, that is, I guess, a big hope that PSG will not be uh, comfortable in the formation they play. I think that was a factor in, in the first leg as well, even though it was offset by the more stability it brought, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, really. <laughs> um, that's that's all I have to say. Um, I'm interested to see how Tilo Kera will fare. Um, he has not only made a mistake against uh, Manchester United in the Champions yeah. League, but he also has, I think, two or three mistakes in his derby career against Dortmund when he was still a player for Schalke. Yeah. So um, I will say this, he doesn't only have a, a history of shitting the bet on the Champions League, but also against Dortmund. So if these two things combine, uh, I don't know if that's that's uh, positive for you. But it's, it's uh, probably there's not. always hope that since then that he is matured and developed into a, a better player. The one thing I will say that maybe could bail out Kara if he's, you know, shitting the bet, as you said, is that Neymar has played in, in matches and he, he seems to be in great form. Mbappe, I don't know if you saw his goal against Leon where he just dribbled from the halfway line all the way and scored. But, but those two players are in incredible form right now. Um, they seem to be match fit. And I think those two players could track back in a game like this to help out Kerr and maybe Juan Bernat um, for Bayern Munich man um, on the left side if he starts. So I, I think getting some help from those attackers could help that uh, help out the defense. Yeah, I think this is for PSG the, the big difference maker, really. Um, I mean, it's it's really the most obvious thing to say, but especially on such a high level um, where there are not a lot of tactical errors, 
um, you just need the individual Effort. skill and, and dribble through people um, sometimes. I think the, the goal that PSG scored um, with Mbappé just taking the ball and running through everyone uh, <laughs> was exactly the best example and underscores my point. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll really see in, in what kind of form they are because Dortmund, uh, at least according to who scored and to my own eye observation, uh, are very prone to skillful player uh, players and and especially that kind of football. So um, you know this is this is obviously a big concern. Dortmund, on the other hand, will hope that Jaden Sancho will show up a bit better than he did in the first game. Um, if Dortmund played well, then uh, overall, then I think for Jaden Sancho's standards, he had a relatively poor game. So um, Dortmund themselves can improve in the attacking department, especially if Julian Brandt has a good game. So there, there are, I think there is potential for the shootout that we predicted in the first game, just based on the fact that uh, there will arguably be more attacking prowess on, on both sides. I would agree with that. Um, I think PSG, they're a team that if they go down early, you're going to see them just capitulate. They are not a team that can go down early in a game like this and battle back. If they go down early, the fans are going to start getting nervous you're going to see a hostile atmosphere inside the stadium. Um, it could get ugly. This team needs to come out. They, they've they used up all of their goodwill with the fans. It's put up or shut up time, essentially. If, if they lose this, you know, th these players, I don't know if there's going to be any wild birthday parties planned anytime soon. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that was going to be my my sort of final question. Um, we are, I mean, we still have to talk about the... Uh, potential situation that there are no fans in the game due That's to the true. coronavirus. Yeah. But um, if there are, um, I think Hans-Joachim Watzke after the first leg said right away, um, we know that PSG have a reputation of collapsing in the round of 16 and, uh, you know, Dortmund are certainly aware of it and, and try to, um, you know, gain an advantage that way. Um, so really your take on uh, the potential mental collapse of PSG and, and how the fans will um, either help or either or, or on the other hand to make matters worse for this team. And uh, yeah. Yeah, whether there's fans or not in the stadium, this PSG team is comprised of some of the most mentally weak players that we've ever seen in the history of the game. And the evidence is clear just from the last few years uh, in the Champions League. And how they will go up 4-0 against Barcelona and lose 6-1. Or how they'll go up, what was it, 2-1 against uh, Manchester United and then lose 3-1. I mean, this team cannot take a lead and hold on to it and advance. They Something always happens, whether it's a handball or a back pass that goes awry. They are just a mentally weak team. And until they actually show it... That's what they're going to be called, bottlers or whatever phrase you want to say. I mean, they have to go out and prove it. And that's what's on the line Wednesday. For a lot of these guys, especially Neymar, his reputation is on the line. He's 28 years old. If he goes out like this, that's his reputation. And I don't know how he's going to reverse that. He can go crawling back to Barcelona and maybe Messi can rescue him. But if he wants, he came here to PSG to do it on his own. And this is his opportunity. I think the fans will show up in an amazing way and they will give this team such a boost to start but like i said if they go down early it, it's gonna it's not gonna be good um after the loss to dortmund some of the ultras held up banners that basically told neymar and mbappe to grow a pair and that the fans are just sick of these 
catastrophic losses in the Champions League. And so I think the fans are going to show up because that's what they do. And I'm going to be supporting them. Um, but if things start to go bad, <laughs> if things go bad, you're going to see it on Twitter. You're going to see it in the stands. Be out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this team has used up all of their goodwill, like I said. They they have no margin of error. They All the excuses are gone. Everybody, you know, Neymar and Mbappe are healthy. Healthy. You need to go out there and get the job done. It, it's put up or shut up time. And if they don't get it done, it's going to be a long summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, referencing to that banner I just held up, um, yeah. was that a reference to Mbappe and Neymar leaving the pitch early after the game yeah. uh, in, in Dortmund? Because you've seen the entire team basically go to the away section and the plot defense. And then uh, Neymar and Mbappe both swapped jerseys with uh, Dortmund players and went straight to the locker room. Um, that's obviously not a good signal to to send at all and uh, will just you know widen the rift i i assume so was that in reference or was it just like in general i think it was just in general but you know i don't think it helped I, the, a lot of the fans still don't appreciate what neymar did last summer even though he's been great and very professional throughout the season they just won't forgive him for trying to force a transfer so um yeah that that decision not a good look the fans paid a lot of money they sang they cheered they did everything they could to get the win um and, and they you clap them and you appreciate their effort just like they for 90 minutes appreciated yours and so i think that was a bad look and then just yeah it creates a riff and both of them sorry excuse me both of them have contract extensions and neither one of them have signed them yet and so that you're setting up You know, if they lose on Wednesday, you're setting up a very contentious negotiation period and in, in transfer um, window this summer. Yeah, this is going to be my next question and probably the final question. Yeah. Um, Thomas Tuchel is maybe on the hot seat. Um, question 100%. For you. If, if, if this really goes wrong for PG, especially if they collapse, say they lead 2-0 or 3-0 even, and then Dortmund score two goals. And, and advance in in a very dramatic way so um in so just the, the worst case scenario for PSG where they have everything in their hand and then give it away again um is Thomas Tuchel going to be fired and if so uh will there a be a replacement you already have in mind are there already yeah. rumors you know are the vultures already circling around <laughs> him or, or will he be fired Like as a guarantee, and then PSG will just see how they uh, reassess everything. Yeah, I think it's 100% Tuchel's is uh, coaching for his job um, on Wednesday. And if he loses, he's gone. And I don't think if there's anyone who could convince me otherwise. Uh, Leonardo is the sporting director. He didn't bring in Tuchel. He's not his guy. Um, Tuchel's made some questionable decisions tactically, um, just managing some of the players. And so I think Tuchel will want to bring in his own guy. Um, we know that Leonardo has an appreciation for Italian football. Allegri is out there. I think that's a name that will definitely bubble up. Um, Pochettino is available. Yeah, Pochettino is another uh, former PSG player. Um, I think he'll get a look. And for Tuchel, I mean, I saw a report that Manchester United, they, they still back their manager. But if there's a change, they may. I think they have Tuchel on their shortlist. Um, and Bayern Munich is is a team I think that also rates Tuchel highly. So yeah, you can be seeing him a lot more. This is the main reason why I asked the question yeah. because right now, um, I don't know if you know this, but Hansi Flick, the interim coach, basically has been offered a pen after <laughs> the um, you know Bayern Munich always have a banquet after Champions League away days, and the chairman Karl Heinz Rummenigge 
gave her his interim coach a pen and said, you can sign a contract or you can sign papers with this, you know, <laughs> hint, hint, hint. Yeah. So um, I would appreciate the drama when Thomas Tuchel uh, is available on the market and how that, um, you know, changes things at Bayern Munich and whether we will see Thomas Tuchel go to the Bavarians because he was on their wish list for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be uh, quite a dramatic summer in that case. So um, Dortmund but, could fuel the situation. But here's a th- sorry to cut you off. I just Tuchel's a fine manager. He's fine. But what has he actually won in his career? The German Cup in 2017. But that that's it, right? He's he ha- and and like has he? I just don't know if he's the caliber manager for a PSG or a Bayern Munich or Manchester United. He just he doesn't have the winning pedigree, um, and so if he can get it done on Wednesday, maybe he'll be able to stick around for another year. But um, <laughs> I would say this: if he's on the hot seat in the round of sixteen, I don't think the quarterfinal will change much. Depending on who the matchup is, I mean, if you go yeah. up against Liverpool, he can maybe make a case like, "Hey, this team is one of the best ever assembled." But if he goes in. And loses to like maybe Napoli or somebody like that, then I think he could still be fired in the quarterfinals. But um, yeah, it, it's he's got it all to do next week. I mean, think about the pressure in that going into a game knowing that if you lose, you're probably going to lose your job. <laughs> it's good to good to know for Dortmund fans because uh, we all know Thomas Tuchel under pressure sometimes makes weird yeah. calls. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think that's uh, that that should. Uh, Close this discussion. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, please uh, give us your prediction for this game. So I think it's going to be a similar scoreline, 2-1 to PSG this time, which I believe would send it into extra time. Yeah. And I'm going to leave it up in the air. I think <laughs> I think this game's going into extra time, and I have this no is, idea. This is not how predictions work here <laughs> on the Yellow Wall Pod. You either predict how this entire thing is going to end, or you okay? Don't here, at all. all right, all it's right. Put up or shut up time. You said yourself. All right, here we go. It's going to be two one. We're going to go to extra time. This is going to penalty kicks, and I'm going to be in the hospital through a heart attack. But I'm going to be there as PSG win the penalty kick shootout and advance to the quarterfinals. So that's my prediction. <laughs> Okay, see, this is what it takes to get something out of you here. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you for coming on. Um, the stage is yours. Please tell our listeners uh, how to uh, view or read or listen to your content. Absolutely. So psgtalk.com, we have all of our content there. You can find our podcast. Our flagship is the PSG Talking Show, which Stefan was gracious to join us on before this show. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at psgtalk. Thank you very much, and back to the show. All right, we are back. Once again with me here is Konstantin Eckner. Konstantin, uh... Before we leave, please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you if they also want to share half a bottle of wine with you. Sure. Uh, why not? We do that digitally, virtually. <laughs> uh, so just go on Twitter. Uh, my handle is cc underscore ECK, any error. Uh, get in touch with me there. Follow me. 
uh, check out the stuff I share, uh, my own rating and other things, my own videos from my YouTube channel and um, everything else that's, you know, related to the sport of football and maybe other things I also do. Yes. So Konstantin Egner's videos are uploaded on Red Wine Tube. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, you, yes. you, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. Uh, no alcohol there, even though it's sometimes you Boring. Think, Boring. I know, I know. But um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with all of us, please do that at Pod on Facebook or Twitter or shoot us an email at yellowwallpod at gmail.com And if you want to check out our written content, please go to theyellowwall.net where you can also find all the means to subscribe to this podcast via YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you like Vedran want to sponsor an episode, please go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall. And that's all for now for, well, not this week. But until Thursday, then we will talk about the Geisterspiel that is going to be the Revier Derby. Fun. So anyway, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening and goodbye. Be dry.